This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shana Roth. Two books have been removed from school library shelves in Dearborn, Michigan, and while that may not sound like a lot, it is a startling move in the ongoing so-called culture wars in the state and across the nation. And here with me to talk about all of this is Isabel Lohman, talent and education reporter for Bridge, Michigan. Isabel, welcome to Mishmash. Thanks for having me. The books that Dearborn Public Schools are permanently removing are Push by Sapphire and Red, White, and Royal Blue by Cassie McQuiston. Push is the 1996 novel about a teenage Black girl that was raped by her father and now living as a single mother with her own abusive mother. Red, White, and Royal Blue is the 2019 romance novel about the bisexual mixed-race son of a United States president and a gay British royal. Isabel, both these books are critically acclaimed. They're very well regarded. Why did Dearborn Public Schools decide to remove them? Yes, so they decided to remove them after looking at those two books as well as a couple other books that have been brought by forward by parents who say that these books are inappropriate, that they are either sexually explicit or just generally inappropriate for their students. When you look at those two books specifically, uh, they were taken off the shelves, but there are other books that the the district has decided is either appropriate or they haven't gotten to yet. So for example, The Lovely Bones is going to stay in the high school. A couple other books, uh, including All Boys Aren't Blue and This Book is Gay. Those books have not been looked at yet, but they are also under scrutiny right now from the community and then now the district. So how long has this fight been going on? When about did this start? So started earlier this fall. Uh, there was competing rallies at one point where there was a group of people who were saying, we need to protect students, we need to give LGBTQ students the opportunity to read about themselves in the in the libraries. Then there was an opposing group, an opposing group saying that these books were not only inappropriate, but they didn't follow their own family values, or that they were pushing pornographic ideas on students. So this has been bubbling up for a while. However, Dearborn has been specifically looked at for several reasons, including its large Arab American population. The fact that people have said Dearborn in the past has been a democratic stronghold and that some people were saying that this type of activity right before the election was going to mean that Dearborn would flip to Republican. We've been hearing for a while that books are being banned across the U.S., or at least there's a movement to try and ban different books. Can you tell us more about how Dearborn got to this point, and are they a unique school district within Michigan when it comes to book bans? Sure. So Dearborn is not unique in that, that there are several school districts across Michigan as well as across the country that are facing concerns from parents who say that the books on their library shelves are inappropriate or sexually explicit. Dearborn is unique in that it got a lot of attention right before the election. They had a school board meeting right before the election where about 600 people attended, including Republican candidates for statewide office. In that meeting, several people said that they were concerned about the books. And a week after the election, that same school board meeting had only about 60 people. So you had a lot less people there, but the people that were there say they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop attending these meetings. They're not going to stop complaining about these books until they feel like they are fully heard. Let's go back to that meeting that you mentioned. The most recent one that actually did ban these books had about 60 people in attendance. And you mentioned that before the election, there was almost 600 people at a similar meeting. And that meeting included Republican candidates for secretary of state and attorney general. That was obviously before the election. The midterm elections are over. So is this trend of challenging books in school libraries going to die down now that the 
political stakes of an election have been taken away? Or is it just going to become a sort of smaller fight? I think it's both. And I think you're going to see sort of a quote unquote return to normal when it comes to school board meetings. You may not have these huge crowds showing up at school board meetings, but it doesn't take a huge crowd to disrupt a school board meeting. And it doesn't take you know, 600 people to make your voice heard. So it, for example, in Dearborn, the parents that were there say they're going to keep coming back. I, I believe them. You saw in Hamtramck recently, um, the Detroit Free Press referenced that the Hamtramck schools are going to take a look at their books. We're seeing books being looked at at other places. And for the people that are involved on the ground, I don't think they are going to stop anytime soon. What is next for Dearborn schools? Are there other books that are still on the chopping block? Yes. So the original complaint about these books, there were several other books. So there are the two that you mentioned that are going to get removed. There's a book that's going to be uh, moved from the middle school library to the high school library. There's two other books that are still being looked at, including a book called This Book is Gay. And then the school has also committed to basically going through all of its entire catalog through a weeding process, just to make sure that the books on the shelf are still in good condition, that they're still appropriate, that sort of thing. At the same time, they've also uh, formalized a process for how parents can re- can request to have a book looked at by a library specialist. If they don't like the decision that the library specialist makes, they can then take it to a different committee. And that committee is made up of community members and some other folks who are expected to read the book and then make a decision. On top of all of that, Dearborn is also allowing parents to opt their children out of specific books or the entire library's books. And then on top of all of that, they're saying they're going to work with their online e-library provider to help make some restrictions around some of the content that's available. So it's a lot bigger than just these two books. There's all these other procedures that are being put in place. There's all these other things that in theory could stop something like this from happening again. But when you listen to the parents who spoke this week, uh, they spoke after the district announced that two of these books were gone and they were still upset and they still said more needed to be done. I'm curious given that you've talked to parents, how they're finding these books, because libraries have a lot of books in them. These do not seem like the type of books that in their everyday lives they would be seeking out. Is there some sort of like online group that they're referring to or some sort of outside entity that is like, hey, these are the books that we don't want in schools? How how are they making these decisions? There are outside groups that are in, that are interested in this. I mean, I attended a parental rights meeting back in August, uh, and this group just discussed how you can find these books. It, it ranged from, this wasn't Dearborn specific, but the, the basic idea is there are these lists online of books that parents have deemed inappropriate, whether it's because of sexual content, maybe the way they talk about race, it could be a number of things, maybe there's LGBTQ characters or relationships, and parents can you know see these lists, and then they can go to their local library, whether that's a school library or their community library, and they can go through the the online catalog and see if these books are there. One thing that is important to acknowledge about these books, if you look at PUSH, the book has been checked out six times from Edsel Ford High School since February of 2011. And when you look at Red, White, and Royal Blue, it's been checked out nine times since July of 2021. That's according to the district communications director. So these books are not the type of books that are flying off the shelves necessarily. Uh, They are being checked out, but they aren't necessarily being checked out at these really high rates. What is going on in other school districts across Michigan? We've been talking a lot about Dearborn and schools in that area. Uh, Where where else are we seeing this, if at all? 
Yeah, so we are definitely seeing uh, conversations about books in a lot of places across the state. It's hard to keep track of every single one. But for example, we know that Forest Hills, which is in West Michigan, they uh, had they did something similar to Dearborn, where they formalized a book reconsideration process earlier this year. So that that's one thing that happened. Uh, we saw Hamtramck is taking a look at its books. And I would imagine there's several other districts as well. Let's talk generally about the school board races from the midterms. There were a lot of candidates that subscribe to the so-called, quote, parents' rights philosophy. These are far-right people who stoke fears about LGBTQ inclusion. They want to get rid of certain books in schools. They don't want students to learn about critical race theory. I mean, the list goes on, but you get the idea of where their mindset is. There was a flood of these candidates in various school board races, including here in Grand Rapids, where I live. Overall, how did these candidates do? Sure. So when you're looking at the parental rights movement, it, it's a wide umbrella. Some, par- some parents are really focused on the what they describe as indoctrination in the schools. Um, and some parents say they're more focused on transparency when it comes to recording board meetings, looking at fiscal documents, that sort of thing. But generally speaking, when you look at two different groups that had endorsed candidates, there was the Get Kids Back to School Pack and there was the Moms for Liberty group. About 40% of the candidates they endorsed ended up winning their local school board races. That's important for a couple of reasons. One, uh, leaders ha- leaders within the parental rights movement had said this was going to be the year of the parent. They were going to come out in droves and they were going to vote for these candidates. And in some places, they absolutely did. And it's also important because now we have to pay attention to what type of policies or practices these candidates turned board members are going to propose. Are they going to have the majority of their board uh, agree with them on some of these issues? And also, these are just the candidates that were in those two groups, right? Every local community could have its own local parental rights group, and they could have been successful as well. This election is over. We have another one in two years. What do you think we can expect to see in our schools going forward, especially with these these so-called parents' rights groups? I think it's going to be really interesting. I think, yes, we have some time before the next election. We're going to get to see what these candidates turned members actually do on their boards, um, and I think we're going to we're going to see sort of a sense of analysis, if you will, about if what they were proposing, they wanted public schools to look like if one, they have the support on their local boards to get it to look like that. And two, if it's the type of thing that their constituents want. So whether it is more book banning or it is, you know, more parent opt out forms, anything like that, I'm very curious to see what it looks like both on the local level and then statewide. So Democrats have taken control of the state House, Senate and governor's office. This is a huge change than what we've seen in basically decades. Uh, We've had a Democratic governor in office for uh, a little bit now, but she's been sort of hamstrung by the Republican Senate and House. So how do you think that education in the state is going to change now that Democrats have taken control of all three of those crucial areas. Do you think it's going to be different than when there was Republicans in a majority in at least one of those areas? I definitely think it's going to be different. First of all, you're going to have Democrats leading the, the Senate Education and the House Education Committee meetings. I think one thing that could that is very likely to change is the read by three law, which uh, requires third grade students who are behind in reading to be held back. Right now, there's a lot of exceptions to that. The majority of students who would be held back and don't end up getting held back because they get an exemption. But I, I could see Democrats taking that law off the books. I think we'll see potentially an expansion of early childhood 
I could see a different type of funding formula. And we also know that Governor Whitmer had proposed in her last budget proposal to give teacher retention bonuses. I think that's a possibility. There really is a lot of things that could change given the change in leadership. Have you heard yet from any of the Democrats, like what any of their specific pet issues are going to be? A common issue amongst folks that I've talked to has definitely been the read by three law. I think that's sort of number one on a lot of Democrats' priorities. Uh, the other things that have been talked about, school libraries, in terms of like making sure that the, every school library has a media specialist. You can also get a sense of what Democrats want based on bills that they had proposed in the previous session, even if they never got a hearing, even if they never became law. So I think the read by three is going to be a big one. Um, and then we'll wait and see what else they they put forth. What about in terms of the budget? I know that Governor Whitmer has always sort of put forth a very optimistic uh, budget when it comes to education, and that has tended to get pared back quite a bit uh, by the Republican legislature. What can we possibly look forward to for uh, the education budget? Yes, I think we could potentially see, and of course, this is all hypothetical, I think we could see more uh, funding for early childhood, the Great Start Readiness Program, for example, I think it's possible that we see more funding going towards certain subgroups of students. So uh, English language learners, for example, students with disabilities, economically disadvantaged students, these are all subgroups of students and we could potentially see more per pupil funding for those students as well. I think those are some of the things that would would immediately come to mind on the K-12 side. Isabel Lohman is the talent and education reporter for Bridge Michigan. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me here today on Mishmash. Thanks for having me. 